0: Hey, Conjurers, I'm Sham. And I'm Steph. And our story today takes place 18 years ago in Oregon City, Oregon. With every parent's nightmare, two middle school girls on their way to school disappeared without a trace. Our story begins in the winter of 2002, when Ashley Pond, a 12-year-old, disappeared on her way to the bus stop just after 8 a.m. in early January. She was running late, according to her mom, Lori Pond. The bus stop was a 10-minute walk up a long drive from her apartment at Newell Creek Village, but she never made it to the bus stop or school that day. After doing some digging on Ashley's life, it was clear it wasn't easy from the start. Her mom was only 16 when she gave birth to Ashley. When Ashley was 11, her biological father was charged with raping and sexually assaulting Ashley. He entered a plea of no contest and was released on probation. Ashley had also accused two other men of molesting her, but recanted her statements and did not press charges. People who knew Ashley say she was an outgoing and happy child most of the time. But in the years before she disappeared, She had started to seem withdrawn.
1: What did they think had happened to her?
0: Unfortunately, the FBI assumed she was a runaway based off how she was viewed by her peers, and no clues were surfacing at the time. This was until two months later when another girl, Miranda Gaddis, disappeared on her way
1: to the same bus stop as Ashley. That probably shook up everyone. Did the girls know each other? I'd assume they had at least crossed paths. Well, the girls had a lot in common. Miranda was
0: 13 years old and went to the same middle school as Ashley. They were on the same dance team and even looked similar. And like Ashley, Miranda had been sexually assaulted as a child. Her biological father was convicted of kidnapping and sexually assaulting two young girls when Miranda was just six years old. He used Miranda as a shield when the police came to arrest him. Four years later, when Miranda was 10, her mother's boyfriend was convicted of abusing Miranda, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Ashley and Miranda both survived terrible abuse by those who were supposed to protect them. And those experiences likely brought their friendship closer together. That's
1: honestly not what anyone should have to bond over.
0: I mean, shared trauma often brings people together. And at least they can both lean on each other when it comes to having fathers that clearly failed
1: them. So Sham, this case actually hits close to home for me. Literally. I was only a year older than those girls when they went missing, and I lived in the next town over. I remember everyone searched for months and found nothing. It was scary that this could happen so close to home, and we all started looking over our shoulders a little bit more. I mean, where I live in Washington, it's
0: known for some pretty big cases, and Oregon is right across the river. I was only nine years old at the time when this case happened, so I wasn't watching the news. But this case is something my parents remember seeing on the TV.
1: Yeah, it was everywhere at the time. Okay, so now two girls are missing. What happened?
0: Well, soon after Miranda went missing, the FBI ramped up their investigation, creating a task force of more than 60 agents. Police immediately started looking for a suspect, but found more than 90 sex offenders living within a mile of the girls' apartment complex. They had a difficult time narrowing down the
1: suspects. Wow, that's a lot of sex offenders in the area.
0: I remember downloading that app that tells you where all the sex offenders are in your area, and girl, you'd be shocked. I highly recommend looking into that information before any of you conjurers move into a new place, especially if you have children to protect. Yes, for sure. So fast forward six months after Miranda went missing, another attack on a young woman broke this case wide open. In late August, 19-year-old Randy Onita ran naked into the street and flagged down a car to get help after having been viciously raped by her boyfriend's father, Ward Weaver who also just so happened to live directly between the apartments where the girls lived and the bus stop they never made it to. Within hours after that call, the police had Ward Weaver arrested and charged with rape. Okay, finally a
1: suspect. Did
0: either girls know this Ward Weaver guy? Yes. As it turns out, both girls had a connection to Weaver because they were friends with his daughter Mallory, who attended the same school and was on the same dance team. They had on multiple occasions attended sleepovers at the Ward Weaver house. Ashley had even accompanied the Ward Weaver family on vacation to California before her disappearance. And to me, that meant that Ashley's mom either trusted the Weavers or didn't care enough to get to know them. And as a mother, I need to meet everyone in the household my daughter is going to. And my mom did the exact same thing. If I get weird vibes, it's a no for
1: me. I completely agree. My daughter is still too young for sleepovers, but especially to go with another family alone on a vacation, especially out of state, that would require a high level of trust.
0: Well, one thing I can't understand is why Ashley's mom would let her go near the Weavers after an incident that definitely left Ward Weaver's motives questionable.
1: Really? Like what?
0: In early spring of 2001, one of Ashley's teachers reported to the principal that she had seen Ward Weaver kiss Ashley on the mouth while dropping her off at school. The same teacher reported the inappropriate behavior to the Department of Human Services, but due to sloppy handling of paperwork and a loophole in the policy, Ward Weaver was never investigated for molesting Ashley. It's
1: so hard for me to accept that Ashley had reported him a year before and no one did anything to stop him. Digging deeper, I found that it took more than a week for DHS to investigate the allegations and file a report. They did interview both Ashley and her mom, during which Lori Pond admitted that Ashley had told her about the sexual abuse two weeks prior, and she had promised DHS that she would keep Ashley safe. DHS eventually submitted the report, but the police say they never received it, and no one followed up. Lori Pond never reported Ward Weaver to the police herself, so Ward Weaver was never investigated. Did anyone suspect Ward Weaver at the time? Well, shortly after the girls went missing, two separate
0: private investigators joined the search of their own record. Each reported suspicions about Ward Weaver to the police early on in the investigation, but the police and FBI made it very clear they were not interested in outside help. The FBI even went as far as telling one of them, we really don't need your help from private investigators, you know. We're the FBI and we really don't think that Ward Weaver is a suspect.
1: Two young girls are missing. Take
0: any help you can get. Well, when the FBI wouldn't listen, private investigator Linda O'Neill took her findings to reporter Jim Ridden at the Portland Tribune. Jim Ridden ended up going to Ward Weaver's house to interview him. After that interview, he called Linda and told her his impression was, he seems like an okay guy. Ridden ran the article anyway, and the media blew up about Ward Weaver, making him the center of media attention. Weaver continued to do interviews during an 8-month investigation, stating he was the prime suspect even though that had never been stated by police. He also said things like, there's a side of this story that's not being told, and I honestly don't think Ashley was kidnapped. She's better off hiding out wherever she's found a place to live. And the problems are coming with what they're doing as far as asking questions of my family. They're telling parents of my daughter's friends not to let their daughter spend the night because I'm a prime suspect and their daughter might be next. Which, I'm a little relieved to know that there are finally some parents in this case that have some common sense. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) He also showed his home in an interview with K2 News where he commented with fondness about how many girls were at Mallory sleepovers and how he would have to step over them sometimes. During that interview, he let the reporter outside and insisted on conducting a portion of the interview standing on a concrete slab in the backyard for no apparent reason. I
1: saw that interview. He seemed to be enjoying the media attention.
0: Yeah, I watched it, too, and I got MTV crib vibes, (laughs) like more than someone, you know, talking about Mallory's friends missing. (laughs) You're totally right. He gave them the full tour. By midsummer, the neighborhood was growing more and more suspicious of the recently poured concrete in the Weaver's backyard and growing weary of the police officer's efforts. Protesters started placing signs on his property saying, Dig it up, while creating a makeshift memorial on the fence around his yard. In early August, Weaver quit his job and prepared to move out of his house. People said he had been talking about moving to Mexico or Idaho. His arrest for raping his son's girlfriend put a stop to those plans.
1: It sounds like the neighborhood was convinced he was the guy. Why weren't the police looking at him? Didn't he have a criminal record? He did, but he got away with a lot in his life.
0: He was only 18 when Weaver had his first serious brush with authorities. A relative accused him of rape, so police interviewed him and the girl, and a hearing was held. The police decided not to press charges because Weaver had enlisted in the U.S. Navy and would soon ship out. What they didn't know was only a year later, the Navy and Weaver would come to a mutual understanding. The military wasn't for him, and he returned to
1: Oregon. Hold on. He isn't charged with raping a family member because he joined the Navy? Seriously? Joining the Navy just wipes the slate clean. All is forgiven? Well, Steph, if your name is Ward Weaver, the answer is yes.
0: (laughs) Almost immediately after returning home with his girlfriend that he had brought home with him during his time overseas... He was in trouble again. Ward Weaver's girlfriend, Maria Stout, told an officer from her hospital bed that she was five months pregnant and that 19-year-old Ward Weaver had slapped her, pulled her hair, and banged her head against the bed. But she refused to press charges. Despite that, she still ended up marrying
1: him and had three children with him.
0: Unfortunately, we see this a lot in domestic violence cases. These guys make you feel like you have no value without them. So listen up, listeners. If someone hurts you physically or emotionally, no second chances. Let him go. Four years later, 23-year-old Ward Weaver, his wife, and kids were now living with their friends, the Ordonas, in California. One night, him and his wife were fighting a lot, so he went out and got really messed up. We're talking six beers, six vodka screwdrivers, and a little marijuana, and a gram of powdered speed.
1: You know, as you do. (laughs) Right.
0: Clearly, he was too messed up to go home that night. So around midnight, he called 16-year-old Jennifer Ardonna and her younger sister Jocelyn to pick him up outside the bowling alley. Moments later, Weaver attacked the teenage girls, hitting Jocelyn in the head with a chunk of concrete. And without saying a word, Weaver grabbed Jennifer in a headlock and pulled her to the floor as well, almost taking her life. Because of his actions that night,
1: Weaver went to prison in California for two years. Well, at least he went to prison for that one. But two years doesn't seem like long enough for viciously attacking two young girls.
0: Oh, this guy doesn't let up. The crimes continue. He is relentless. I'm rolling my eyes right now. (laughs) Fast forward eight years. Weaver is on his second wife, Christy Sloan. She was a kid, 18 years old, and right out of high school when she met and married 31-year-old Ward Weaver. In 1995, Weaver was charged with second-degree assault for allegedly hitting Christy with a cast-iron skillet five or six times. She also refused to press charges. And can I say that a cast-iron skillet can cause a lot of damage. With enough brain damage from a few hits, it could literally kill you.
1: All the signs were there, but he was never held accountable for his actions.
0: Okay, so let's go back to August of 2002. Remember that girl, Randy, who claimed Ward Weaver had raped her? Well, her boyfriend, Francis Weaver, contacted 911 that night after the rape. And get this he told Dispatch his father had confessed to murdering two young girls. Our two young girls, Ashley and Miranda.
1: Wait, what? He waits until he's pissed off at his dad for raping his girlfriend before coming forward? He had to have known sooner and just didn't say anything. Right.
0: He was definitely more out for revenge on his dad than anything. On August 24th, 10 days after Weaver's arrest for sexually assaulting his son's girlfriend, the FBI searched Weaver's home and property. There they found the remains of Miranda Gaddis in a microwave box inside a storage shed out back. Two days later, on August 26, they found the remains of Ashley Pond under a slab of concrete outside the kitchen window. The same slab of concrete Ward Weaver stood over in that K2 interview months earlier. His son Francis confessed to helping him dig a hole and pour the concrete after being told by his father
1: that it was for a hot tub. Oh my god, that makes me feel sick. Just think, if he hadn't have raped his son's girlfriend, he might have gotten away with all of it. Maybe he wanted to get caught, and that's why he did it. Or maybe he just couldn't control himself anymore. Good point. But I feel like based off his rap sheet and never paying the
0: consequences for his actions, he thought he could get away with harming yet another young woman. What happened to Ashley and Miranda possibly could have been avoided if he hadn't gotten away with all the crimes of his past.
1: You're probably right, because even while all of this was happening, he continued to get away with these types of crimes. In July, only four months after Miranda disappeared, Ward Weaver raped a 15-year-old girl in his house. That girl didn't report the crime because she was afraid to come forward. What she didn't know at the time was that she had narrowly escaped with her life. During the investigation, if the police were
0: watching him, how did he almost move all his possessions out of his house, give notice at work, and rape two more girls?
1: Exactly, and remember it took police 10 days to pull together enough probable cause for a warrant once the tip came in from his son. The police were clearly not looking at him closely. They had him now, though, and they weren't going easy on him this time. Once he was arrested, bail was set for $1 million, and Weaver was assigned a public defender. And what exactly were those
0: charges? Okay, are you ready for this? Oh, yes. Tell me everything he was finally held accountable for.
1: (laughs) The charges against him were six counts of aggravated murder, Two counts of abuse of a corpse in the second degree, one count of sexual abuse in the first degree, one count of attempted rape in the second degree, one count of attempted aggravated murder, one count of first degree attempted rape, one count of sexual abuse in the first degree, one count of sexual abuse in the second degree, and two counts of sexual abuse in the third degree. So pretty much everything. (laughs) Good. Did he own up to any of it? Of course not. He insisted he was innocent and actually released several official documents to reporters against his lawyer's advice to try and prove it. He released the autopsy reports, numerous polygraphs, and police reports. They really didn't help him at all in the court of public opinion, though.
0: I'm curious to know what the autopsy reports said. Did they have those available?
1: Yes. The autopsies were conducted by the Oregon State Medical Examiner's Office, they gave the manner of death as homicide by unknown causes meaning that the girls didn't die of natural causes an accident or commit suicide but the medical examiner wasn't able to determine how either girl was actually killed due to the condition of the bodies the portland tribune asked independent forensic scientist raymond grisbo to review the autopsies And he felt the reports only ruled out that they weren't strangled, beaten, shot, stabbed, or poisoned. (laughs) Grispo said their deaths were like something out of the X-Files.
0: Okay, in my opinion, I'd assume it was some form of suffocation. I would hope that the cause of death isn't something that affects Weaver being
1: prosecuted. Weaver certainly hoped it would have an effect. He even gave an interview to KPTV from jail. Weaver told the reporter that he thought it would be impossible for prosecutors to prove he killed the girls if they couldn't answer such basic questions about how they died. He actually said, They've indicted me for stuff they have no evidence on. Zero. Yeah, there were two bodies in my backyard, but that's all there is.
0: Okay, I'm no professional, but I feel like two dead bodies in your backyard is enough cause for concern that you may have been the one to murder them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What? <laughs>
1: Besides, Ashley was missing for more than eight months when her body was found, and Miranda more than six. Of course they were decomposed. People have been convicted with less. Besides, there are several ways the girls could have been killed, like being smothered with a pillow or even restricting blood flow to the brain with a chokehold, you know, like he almost did to Jennifer O'Donnell. Grisbo said the most likely cause of death he could identify was a 0.17% blood alcohol content in Ashley's body. He said although alcohol is produced by decomposing bodies, a reading that high would more than likely be the result of drinking, and that 017 is high enough to kill such a young girl. The autopsy on Ashley also found that her body was partially mummified, and this could be the result of freezing. In addition to the condition of her body, several items were found embedded in Ashley's clothing, including cigarette butts, broken sunflower seeds, and a Q-tip, among other trash items. The autopsy didn't say if the items were tested for DNA. Okay.
0: Didn't Weaver stand in front of a big chest freezer during that interview at his house before they found the girls?
1: He absolutely did. He was boldly taunting everyone in that interview. Weaver was so difficult to deal with, his own attorney asked to be taken off the case. Weaver's new attorneys argued that Weaver was mentally incompetent. They delayed the trial by sending him to Oregon State Hospital's maximum security unit for evaluation. Carlene Schultz, a hospital psychologist, reported his responses were consistently rational, although often intentionally unclear or based on antisocial reasoning and clearly not affected by psychotic or delusional thinking. The report concluded the reason for his lack of cooperation and participation during the current interview and with his legal counsel is not based on mental disease or defect, but rather the result of his severe character pathology. So basically he was pretending to be crazy, but is really just a terrible person.
0: Yeah, if he's not mentally ill, what possessed him to be such a sick-minded human being and act on it?
1: We may never know for sure, but his mother and sister have helped shed some light on why Weaver carried so much violence and rage. From the time he was a child, he was surrounded by violence, abused and abandoned by his father and beaten with a belt by his powerfully built stepfather. Weaver, in turn, beat up his younger siblings. There was one incident in particular in 1975, where his stepfather, Bob Boudreau, took then-12-year-old Ward Weaver on a job to Sacramento, California. But after a few weeks, one of his buddies called Ward's mom and let her know that he had been leaving the boy alone and running the bars. Trish Weaver suspects that something happened on that trip to trigger her son's rage. She insists he was never the same after that. Weaver's youngest sister, Tammy, said they were never really a family, but more like six people growing up in the same very violent house. Ward had put her through so much hell that for years after she left, she had nightmares about him.
0: His childhood sounds very dysfunctional, but no one's trauma excuses them from going on a murderous spree and harming innocent children and women.
1: I totally agree. There is no excuse for what he did. The judge found Ward Weaver mentally competent to stand trial, but instead, in September 2004, Weaver entered a plea of guilty to two charges and no contest to the rest. It's possible his daughter Mallory played a part in convincing him to plead guilty. The plea bargain allowed him to avoid the death penalty, which was still legal in Oregon until 2011. He was given two life sentences without the possibility of parole to be served at the Snake River Correctional Institution. So where is everyone now that was involved in this case? Well, something positive did come out of this tragedy. In September 2002, then Governor John Kitzhopper launched a multi-agency investigation into how the state handled that sexual abuse claim Ashley reported against Ward Weaver. Since her death, Ashley's case has led to several reforms in the way Oregon handles abuse reports. DHS now immediately refers child abuse cases to both the local law enforcement agency And the appropriate DHS office within 24 business hours of it being received. DHS will also continue to screen and follow up on these cases after referral to law enforcement. DHS has also now implemented a policy for third-party child abuse. I'm aware, but can you
0: tell our listeners what third-party child abuse is?
1: Yeah, it's when the abuser is not a family member or living in the home. For example, when DHS investigated Ashley's claims originally, they couldn't investigate Ward Weaver because he was not a family member, and Ashley's mom didn't report him to the police. Now DHS can investigate anyone they suspect may be abusing a child. So, sadly, Ashley and Miranda's families kind of fell apart after their deaths. In 2003, Lori Pond's three children were removed from her custody under allegations of neglect, alcohol, and domestic violence. In 2004, Lori Pond filed a wrongful death and civil rights claim against the state of Oregon for that delay in reporting the sexual abuse allegations by DHS to law enforcement and the lack of investigation. The courts ruled in the state's favor, however, and all claims were dismissed.
0: I'm not one to judge the next parent, but Ashley's mom had a history of neglect and ignoring her daughter's claims in the past. So I'm not surprised that her children eventually needed to be removed from her care.
1: I agree. It's sad, but it's not really surprising. Miranda's mom, Michelle Duffy, filed a $1.5 million civil lawsuit against Ward Weaver directly, stating he was the sole cause of Miranda's death. Trying for a fresh start, Michelle Duffy legally changed her remaining children's names and moved them out of Oregon City. According to a petition filed by Duffy, Miranda's murder was a main factor in her desire to change her surviving children's names. Miranda's sister, who is now estranged from her mother, said she felt cut off from friends and family in Oregon City. She admits being angry with her mother, whom she blames for exposing her and the other children to sexual predators. In 2008, Miranda's sister, Mariah, started writing and visiting Ward Weaver to try and get answers to why he killed her sister. According to Mariah, during their second meeting, Weaver had a wild look in his eyes as he described killing both girls in great detail and moving their bodies around his property to avoid detection. Weaver also told Mariah he probably would have killed her too if she had been older. I don't doubt that one bit, but he seemed to have a type
0: and Mariah didn't fit that at the time.
1: I don't know if I could have done that. Sit across from my sister's killer just for the small hope of getting answers. Did he tell her why he did it? When she asked why he chose Miranda, Ward told her he thought when she was walking up the hill to the school bus that Miranda had seen something he was in the middle of doing, and he got scared and panicked. So he told her, hey, Ashley's inside. So Miranda went over. Mariah has begun writing a book about her life to help others understand that they can survive even the greatest emotional hardships.
0: We might never know if he was telling the truth or not. Other people in the neighborhood said Miranda had been telling other girls at school to stay away from the Weaver house after Ashley went missing, and he didn't like that. So what about Ward Weaver? Please tell me that man is still locked up.
1: Oh, yes. There isn't much more to tell about him, really. Except in 2007, Weaver was attacked with a makeshift knife by the prison barber, leaving him with neck and shoulder injuries. Other than that, he seems to just be rotting away in his cage. Well, I think it's safe to say that if you keep your hands
0: off underage girls, you won't end up in prison. And I've heard they're not a fan of predators or someone that murders children. It sucks to be Ward Weaver, but I'm not surprised.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. His family legacy continues, though. In February 2014, Ward Weaver's son, Francis Weaver, was arrested and charged with murdering a drug dealer in Canby, Oregon. He was found guilty and given a life sentence. He is now the third generation of Weavers to be convicted as murderers. Ward Weaver's father was sent to California's death row for murdering two people. Just like his son, he buried one of his victims under a slab of concrete in the backyard.
0: Unfortunately, it looks like assault and sexual trauma runs deep for the Weavers, and sadly, that's all they knew.
1: Yeah, and the apple clearly doesn't fall too far from the tree. They possibly even have four generations of criminals. Ward Weaver Sr., father and grandfather to these horrible men, allegedly raped his daughter and molested two of his granddaughters, but was never charged, par for the course in this family to get away with horrific acts of violence.
0: Oh my gosh. So what about the house? Is that still standing?
1: No. So shortly after the girls were discovered, the landlord decided to tear down the Weaver house rather than rent it out again. No one wanted the tainted property for a long time. But now, after nearly two decades, the location of Ward Weaver's house is being repurposed by an organization called Love in the Name of Christ. The group is a bunch of local church congregations that provide social services, spiritual care, and basic household goods for people in need. The group envisions a community garden, programs for those in need, and housing for young people aging out of the foster care system. They also plan to have a memorial for Miranda and Ashley on the site. Maybe now that place can bring some good to the community after all the tragedy that occurred there.
0: We now know what happened to Ashley Miranda, but there are a lot of missing persons cases still unsolved. If you or anyone you know has information pertaining to a missing person, no matter how small the detail, contact the local authorities to help. You could end up saving a
1: life. Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted, and every nine minutes, that victim is a child. But there is help. Rain is America's largest anti-sexual violence organization. Rain provides a safe and confidential 24-hour sexual assault hotline, as well as providing safety and prevention programs and information. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual assault, contact Rain at 800-656-HOPE. Again, that's 800-656-4673. Or you can find them at online.org rain
0: To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com Research and writing for this episode was done by Stephen Sham. Editing of this episode was done by Denver Fortner Productions, with music by Jordan
1: Alina. Steph, what's our Conjure Tip of the Week? Today we have Tiger Eye, which brings confidence, strength, courage, protection, and even some good luck. This stone helps to sharpen the senses while also promoting intuition. Tiger Eye enhances personal power, allowing for clarity and good judgment, aiding in good decision making.
0: I don't have that crystal yet, but this episode makes me want to purchase one for my daughter and all the women in my life tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Until
1: Until next next time, stay vigilant, conjurers.